Welcome to VDOT02 at Conversation Pace. This is our first episode. We're excited to launch this new podcast. My name is Brian Rossetti. I'm the founder of VDOT02, a coaching platform for runners of all levels. In this podcast, we're going to bring you the stories behind athletes and coaches who've made a mark in the sport of running, we'll cover the circumstances, timing, and situations that led them on this journey, discover the keys to their success, or inspire them along the way, gain insights into the minds of these exceptional individuals. Today, we're leading off with the man behind our app, the legend, Dr. Jack Daniels. Uh, Jack is a partner in VDOT02. He's the inventor, scientist behind our app, as I said. The formulas, the power of the VDOT paces and equivalent performances. Many of you already know Jack and his background as an Olympian, an exercise scientist. We've been fortunate enough to work with him the past 12 years in the online coaching space and now at VDOT02. In this episode, I check in with Jack to see how he's holding up during this tumultuous time. He's turning 87 next month. We talk about his daily routine, shoveling snow in upstate New York, physical education, why he became a running coach. As always with Jack, the conversation leads to some great tips on preparing, whether it's from mentally for races, warming up properly, how to pace well in races. Over the course of the podcast um, and this show, we'll be checking in with Jack getting into his recently released autobiography and really letting him tell his story. Um, he's a treasure trove of stories and wisdom, and we want to share as much of that as possible with you guys. Here's the first ever episode of Conversation Pace with Dr. Jack Daniels. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Jack. Yeah. You made it. I, did I make it? Yeah, you're on. Can you hear oh, me? Oh, good. Sounds good. <laughs> we did it. Yeah, I'll never remember how, but I did it. <laughs> How's it going? So you're you're upstairs at your house now, right? Quarantine. Yeah, that's right. How except, you when, except when I'm outside shoveling the snow. How much snow have you guys been getting? We had a heavy, wet snow last night. Took me two hours to shovel our driveway. Oh no! How many inches? Not much, only a couple, but so wet that it was really heavy. Has that been, it doesn't sound like you got too much this year, right, compared to last? No, we didn't get a lot of snow. It just came now and then. Yeah. So, um, you're well, you're pretty used to shoveling these days, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a good workout. In, all those years in Cortland. What's the key with show, snow shoveling to... What's, What's the, the key? key? Yeah, like technique-wise. Well, you got to have a couple of different types of shovels. Some of them are too big to; they push too much snow at one time. Some of them you have to do little ones. Yeah, um, that's great. And it doesn't bother your back at all. No. Oh, that's great. Maybe I'm lucky. I don't know. I I, I just look at it as a good workout on my arms and my back. That's great. And you said, um, Nancy said you came back from a run today or you were just shoveling. Did you run today or no? Yeah, I ran. How, how far have you been going lately? I ran after I shoveled. <laughs> nice. <laughs> how, how many miles? I, I, my usual is two miles. Two miles. And you have a loop outside and in, in your neighborhood? I have a whole bunch of different ones. Uh, sometimes I go up one street. Sometimes I go up another street. Just depends on 
on uh, the traffic and and so on. Some there's one direction. If I go, then I can run completely underneath a, a roof. If it's if it's raining or something like that, I can I can stay completely dry by running back and forth under this this one building's roof. Nice, that's great. How much have you been running, like in the last year or two? What's your usual routine at this point? It's the same old thing. It's two miles. About, and I'm not moving fast at all. Real slow. And do you? So what do you do, Jack? Like a couple times a week? Well, no, I, 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 I often get all seven days. Sometimes I only get six, but unless I'm. The only reason I'd I'd do less than that is if the weather was really bad. But yeah. during most of the year, on the bad days, I could go over to the to the university here, and they have an indoor track. Yeah, Cortland, I saw it's it's like an elevated indoor track, right? But it's not like official track, right? It's more of like a recreational jogging yeah, path type. It's thing. on their their fitness center is unbelievable yeah. in, in a way it's kind of ridiculous because <clears throat> the indoor track in there is five laps to a mile so that's yeah. pretty big yeah yeah and it's four lanes wide but teams are not allowed to train there it's only students can use it for fitness okay and that's something that you and Nancy use as much as you can or just whenever the weather is kind of bad. Yeah, well, right now we can't use it at all because it's all closed down. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, how does it – what has the town been like lately there? Do you feel like more people are are outside or, excuse me, more people are staying inside? Do you feel like people are listening or has it been quiet since you've been out? I think that – it it seems a little more like they're staying in. Okay. I don't see many people outside. I I I don't think I've seen two people in the last two weeks wearing a mask. Okay. So they they seem to just do what they want to do, and I I don't know what they're doing in their house. Yeah. Yeah, and you said that you recently. What were the stores like? You've only been out pretty much to run or, or get food, right, at this point? Yeah. Yeah, that's the only reason at all is maybe to get some food or buy some toilet tissue, or which their stores are completely out of. That's crazy. And uh, yeah, I got paper towels. It, food is, is reasonable. I mean, it seemed like they got just about all the things you'd normally want to buy. So the shelves, when you were there, the shelves weren't cleared out. Just the shelves in the toilet tissue. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> there were none. None at all. Unbelievable. I guess you need that before food. I don't know what's yeah. going on. Well, the food situation, if you're willing to eat some frozen stuff, you can have just about anything you want. You can have vegetables. You can have fruit. You can have meat yeah whatever how big is the town in Cortland again jack population it's not real big it's about 20,000 probably okay but and i haven't looked i haven't looked it up in years all i remember is when i first came here 
they had about 20,000 and about 6,000 of them were students. 6,000 at, at the university. The university has it grown a lot since then? No. Since you were coaching them? No. No. Not at all. Interesting. Interesting. But um, yeah, go ahead. the number of when I first moved here, I think about half of all the students who came here to study were majoring in physical education. Yeah, that's their specialty, right? Well, the problem is that over the next 10 or 15 years after I first came here, the high schools in the state quit offering physical education as a subject. Mm. So there were no jobs. If you were a PE major, you couldn't get a job when you graduated. They're, they're yeah. trying to build it back up a little bit now, but the whole United States is in trouble on high school physical education. We're, we're getting out of shape completely. Yeah, it's terrible. I actually just had a, a phone call, Jack. You would have appreciated. Um, it was with Melinda Elmore, who, who you've met. Um, she's a Stanford standout um, uh, in the middle distance. She ran the Olympics in the 1500. Um, she actually, I don't know if you know this, just set the Canadian record in the marathon she just ran 224 and she turned she turns 40 um and like very soon she's turning 40 um and so it's just incredible but she attributed the reason she got into the sport was um she thinks their physical fitness program and early education and um so that was really nice to hear but yeah it's sad to see it just has gone completely downhill yeah. ever since. Yeah, it's it's terrible because it's not only fitness, it's health. Right, which to, brings us back to the situation we're in now because it seems like people who are in pretty good physical shape are holding up a little better with this virus. Uh, it's not the case for everyone. There's certainly outliers, but it seems like if you're physically fit, that's going to reduce healthcare costs, but also in our present situation, it seems like it's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I ever told you, but my PE program in high school was just unbelievable. Yeah. We talk about this a lot at the clinics, right? Um, It's just, it's amazing. I would hope that it still exists, but do you think it does or probably? I don't know. I should probably contact him and and see Uh, the most amazing (laughs) thing about it was that, there were only 10 people who, who achieved the highest ranking in the physical education program. So this is at Sequoia High School right. Right, in Palo Alto. Right. And it's um, and only 10 ever in the history of that program. You said there were only 10 people at Sequoia that reached a level gold, right? Only 10, only 10 of, of my senior class. Oh, got it. In your class. So each okay. each class had so many. There were about 500 students in my senior class. Okay. So 10 of, wow. 10 of us had goals. And of those 10, six years after graduating from high school, three of those 10 were in the Olympics. It's uh, unbelievable. Do you remember the sports that they actually made those individuals? <laughs> what activities they had to do? 
Well, what what sports did they make the the Olympics in? Do you oh yeah, one of them made it as a diver. One of them made it in um, water polo. Wow! And I made it in modern pentathlon. Right. Wow, that's amazing. All in the same class. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, the the you had to be pretty fit to get the golds. So this is the basis. A lot of our listeners might not know, but this is the basis behind the the age graded. Well, the V dot levels, right? There's ten levels um, that go up to level ten, which is gold, the top level, um, and. This is this is the basis, right, behind the this idea of advancing to different levels and achieving different colors, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I just copied that right out. But the the big big difference is in in the gold shorts in high school. That that involved a, a real variety of activities. You yeah. couldn't just be a good runner or whatever, because in fact. One of the, of the ten events you had to do. One of them was a, a swim, a 120 yard swim, and it was just scored by how fast yep, you did it. Right, it was a 150 yard swim. Sorry, and and they had a okay. triple jump. They had a 20 foot rope climb, arms only from seated position on the floor. And you had to do that in 11.5 seconds. And you had to do a certain number of chin-ups and a certain number of bar dips and a, two different runs, a 120-yard dodge run and a 300-yard shuttle run. Yeah, it, you had to do a lot of different things. What was your strongest event? You of those events? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. It, probably for me, the swim, because I was on the swim team. Nice. Yeah, that was your better event yeah. than the pentathlon. Right. Well, riding was my best event in the pentathlon. Oh, okay. That's right. And swimming was my sw- my second best. And, um, and my worst was running. That's why I became a running coach. <laughs> I saw, I saw when you were in the, your speech at um, the the recent um, induction in, or where was it, Orlando, right? Right, right. And um, I saw that you mentioned that that running was your your worst event. That's why you became a coach. Well, it's um, it's what I did because my running was weak. Was I studied running? Yeah. And I I did my PhD degree. In running, do you, Jack? Do you remember being frustrated while you were training with the the, the coaches? Like, did you know it at the time, or did, was this more frustration that you just weren't improving in your running and you wanted to figure out later? Or do you remember while you were training feeling frustrated that the coaches? maybe didn't have an idea what they were doing or did you just kind of go along with it and came together for after your competition? It didn't take me long to figure out the, the coaches didn't know what was going on. 
<laughs> see, we, when I was in, I was in the army at the time when I was learning all these events, and we didn't have a, enough money to hire coaches for all the different events. I mean, in pentathlon, you got five completely different events. You got swimming, you got running, you got fencing, you got horseback riding, and you got pistol shooting. I mean, those take really different types of coaches. And we had a great, great fencing coach. He was a Hungarian guy that had graduated from the Budapest Academy of Fencing. And and he was a really good fencing coach. But to save money, the people organized the, the Pentathlon Association. They just told that fencing coach, you also be the running coach. <laughs> <laughs> he right. didn't have a clue. I'll tell you, the first six weeks I ever ran for that coach, all we did was go to the track and jog a mile, run eight 400s as hard as we could, and go home. And we did that five or six days a week. <laughs> now, you, you couldn't even stand up. You were so sore. I mean, I had never run before in my life, and I'm running 400s as hard as I can. Wow. What was the rest between them? Do you remember? Yeah, you got to jog a lap. So you got a fair bit. Oh, okay. But the problem was, yeah, so that's and we, we never, and in addition to being sore as heck, we didn't have a clue how to run a race because when we ran a race, all we'd ever done for training was run hard, hard as we could. So when the race started, you ran as hard as you could and just died after about a half a mile. <laughs> what was the distance um, that you were competing? Pentathlon was four thousand meters. Four thousand, and it was cross country. Yeah, right? two and a half, two and a half miles cross country, and it was really tough cross country because you weren't even allowed to see a map of the course before you ran it, and you weren't allowed you were not allowed to warm up on the course, and the way they competed the run. All the competitors in the competition ran one minute apart. Um, one started every minute. For instance, in the 1960 Olympics, there were 60 competitors. That means 60 people started one minute apart. So for one entire hour, a different person started every minute. But were you seeing competitors oftentimes in front of you like were that you were trying to chase them down or were well you had to get pretty close to be within a minute of them yeah the only time you'd ever big straight away you would only ever see another runner is if you caught one a whole minute or one behind you caught you a minute and you, you didn't right as i say you, didn't, you weren't allowed to see the course so you didn't even know if you were going to be running <clears throat> sometime in this course running through mud <clears throat> or I can remember running through a field of grass that was about a foot deep. I mean, wow. they took you everywhere. And I, I've seen pictures of you. I don't know if they were the trials or what the competition was, but you're, is, was, were there hay bales in the running or just the, that was more the, the, the. No, more, more, more. We, we didn't usually have obstacles. <laughs> We, we had very tough up and downhill runs, 
I remember one course we had, the uphill run was so steep, they hung a rope down, you could pull yourself up the hill. Oh, wow. Yeah, it wasn't very long. It was only about 40 or 40, 50 meters, something like that. There was the, I think it was regionals. I don't know if you saw this. Um, NCAA, what was it, a conference meet or a regional meet where because of the weather, they turned it into a road. Race. Oh, really? The, <laughs> yeah. so, um, we actually ran a little bit on the roads in high school and cross country, but um, this your competition seemed like true, true. Cross well, country. it was, it was, um, I can remember one, one year, the world championships in London and they had had nothing but rain and oh, there was mud all over that course. And you had to run. Yeah. They had two lanes of tape. You ran between those two, the entire 4,000 meters. You were in, you were in a trail. Yeah. You weren't allowed to run off to the side to get around a mud hole or anything. <laughs> you were stuck. Um, that's interesting. I remember um, always dealing with different weather or climate and you would, you'd notice that certain runners would get discouraged. I think psychologically it's hard. I mean, how should coaches sort of work with their athletes when they're faced with extreme, you know, weather that maybe they haven't trained in? I mean, what's a good way that you've kind of helped athletes get through those situations? Well, the number one thing is to realize that everybody's facing the same situation. So mm. <clears throat> you're not being picked out to have bad conditions <laughs> and it's more of a mental thing you might you might want to change your goal for a, a race that's under really bad conditions your goal might be instead of trying to run a certain time is to see how many people you can pass during this race in other words start out kind of yeah. cautiously and and see I, I did this with my college team quite often i tell them Today, I'll give a prize to which one of you passes the most people in the race. You just keep track, count them all. Mm. And I, you know, and that what that means is, of course, that you got to start slow. If you want to, pa to pass more people, you better start slow. Yeah. Does, so do you found that 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 works pretty well? It sort of takes that sort of shifts. Their oh, mind, yeah. Right. To, it works. It works really like, well. Mm hmm that going out comfortable. I mean, obviously there are courses where after the first 400 meters, it's the course is narrowed down to a single file down some path. So it's hard to pass people, but you just you have to just relax during that period of time. And, and then the, there's things you can just different games you can play, like going up a hill. Uh, you, you hear a lot of coaches, Push that hill. That's where you can beat people. Well, what I try to tell people to do is see how easily you can run up every hill without losing ground to any of the competitors. How easily can you stay up with everybody else while they're pushing the hill? And then at the top of the hill, when you get to the top of the hill, try to pick up the pace and even count. I'm going to run faster for 50 steps. And after 50 steps, you'll be surprised how many people you pass 
because everybody else who pushed the hill is killing themselves and they're dying at the top of the hill. That's nice because it gives you something mentally to focus on. Um, and it's almost demoralizing, I bet, for the competitor, well, yeah. right? If you're pulling away at the top of the hill after they've pressed the gas yeah. too much, maybe, then it, then you can really knock something yeah, out. Yeah, like I, I always concerned about runners who sprint to the finish and pass two people in the, you know, and everybody's yelling at them, oh, you had a great race, you outkicked two people. But 40 other people passed you in the middle of the race and you outkicked two, so you gained, you lost 38 places. I'd, I'd, right. I'd rather pass 40 people in the middle of the race and get outkicked at the end. I love what's your what's your line um, for how a typical <laughs> high school cross country well, race goes. Here's how a typical high and not many college races are 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 different than this. Also, the best runner, the best runner in the field goes out too fast and dies because he went out too fast, but he still wins because everybody else went out with him and died worse. <laughs> and that. <laughs> So I, I love I love the strategy of like just focusing on how many people you can pass, right? Because that probably, like you said, it prevents athletes from from starting. Oh yeah, I mean maybe maybe you started too slow and you passed too many people. So next race maybe you're going to try a little different. There's so many different things you can. I like to have a goal for every race you run, and one goal might be mm. today. My goal for today's race is to try a different warm up has nothing to do with how I ran the race. It's just how I prepared for the race. Maybe maybe a different warm-up works better for me than it works for somebody else. And if you don't try it, you're not, you don't know if it'll ever work. Yeah, it's great for setting expectations, right? I mean, you see so many athletes who some to the point where they set a PR and they're disappointed right. after the race. Cause they didn't reach, you know, they didn't reach their, their goal and that they had a singular goal maybe of just, I want to achieve this, this time. Well, and, that, and that's okay so that's, to that's have nice a goal that you don't achieve, but remember that mm -hmm. next time you set a goal. You, yeah. And Jack, well, you may not yeah, always right. achieve your goals, but usually it's pretty easy to achieve them if there's something reasonable. Right. So important setting, setting realistic right. expectations too at the same time. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you along those lines of, um, you know, starting a little bit slower, finishing strong, avoiding, you know, getting past um, in a race by going out too quickly. A lot of your training is, is obviously based, based on, um, you know, training different um, phys physiology, right? Where we're trying to hit a threshold pace. You're trying to run intervals at a specific pace to maximize the benefit you're getting from each workout. But what other things did you do to help athletes maybe prepare for starting slower and finishing stronger in a race? Did you add in other things versus just stressing today? We're looking for this benefit physiologically, um, and here's what we're going to work on, whether it's at the track or wherever you do it. Um, wh what were some of the things that you did to help athletes dealing with different race courses, having to start slower, 
maybe finish strong? Were you just practicing that? And Yeah, well, I, I mean, the, the best example I ever had of that is I used to, I used to always have my runners <clears throat> run about a two-minute run at about their threshold intensity, comfortably hard. And that's the last thing they do before the race starts. And they do that about only about eight minutes before the race starts. I even, I've even had my team run the first 800 meters or even the first 1,200 meters of the course at threshold effort within 10 minutes of the start of the race. It's, it's pretty amazing how, how that because what, what do most people do before a race starts as part of a warm-up? They do a bunch of easy jogging and they do a bunch of strides. Those are the two things they do. Yep. They don't do anything prolonged. How do you how do you know maybe a, a steady two or three minute run as your last thing in your warm-up might might be beneficial? It might slow you down when the gun goes off. That one, the one year my, I thought I had a chance of winning nationals with my women's team. And I measured off the first 800 meters of the course. <clears throat> and the last thing they did, which was only eight minutes before the race started, was to run that 800 meters at the pace they were going to try to run for the first 800 meters of the race. And I told them I wanted them to run 85 seconds for the first 400 of that 800 because I thought that was about the pace they could run for 5K. It was about an 85-second pace. When the race went off, yeah. my seven women ran together all 84 and 85 seconds at the first 400. And they were the last seven runners in the field of 186 runners. They were the last seven. At the mile mark, one of my women had the lead, and she won by 22 seconds over second place. Wow. I can imagine. I mean, I would be nervous just trying to recreate it in the race, right? Because how much does adrenaline make? I always worry about this when we coach marathoners, that trying to teach them that, with the adrenaline at the start of some of these huge marathons like New York and Boston, um, paces feel easier, right? Cause of adrenaline and just kind of that nervous anxiousness at the start. Um, so that's gotta be, do you feel like that's that challenging or it's just a matter of really focusing and practicing the pace when you get out there with lots of people around you just to stay focused, but does adrenaline really, can it play with how certain intensities feel? Um, and is that a challenge? Pace yeah. that you're going to try to run for the entire race is not that fast. I mean, it's it's a good pace, right. but it's certainly nothing like a 5K or a 10K or a mile. So it's so, so darn easy to go too fast because you can easily run too yeah. fast and feel good. And the faster you run, right. the more of your energy is used up that's stored in your muscles. You can instead of instead of all the energy you got stored getting spread out over twenty six miles, it's gone after about sixteen or eighteen. 
And that's that's where people hit the wall in marathons is that last 10K. And it, it's from it's from going out too fast because it didn't hurt to go out too fast. Right. And you're tapering, sure. right? You got to do these big tapers and legs feel fresh. So then coming back to a warm-up, Jack, for shorter races, um, I mean, I remember in high school, college, it was very typical at that time. You would basically – you know, jog a couple miles and then you'd, you'd sit down and get cold and stretch for <laughs> 20 minutes. And then you'd get up and right. do some hard strides and then, and then you go into the race. So you, your preferred is not to, is to do some running basically at your goal pace, but do it for several minutes. Don't be afraid that you're right. going to tire yourself out and it's better to lock in on that pace versus doing doing sprinting a lot of the right the stride i mean cross-country races everyone's yeah. nervous about getting out right and i think that's part of why they want to sprint before you know um before the race right yeah that, it, it, it's the it's a type of energy that you use because you have to think that your aerobic yeah. energy you have a certain amount every minute for the entire race you have a certain amount of aerobic energy comes every minute but your anaerobic energy you have to think about that as as your booster rocket you've got you got a much as much energy anaerobically total that you have every minute for aerobic so if you if you have yeah. four liters of oxygen every minute aerobically and you got a total of four liters of oxygen anaerobically total, if you use all four liters of that anaerobic energy at the start, they're going to run a lot faster than if you just ran aerobically. But you're, you're going to have to slow way down because you haven't got any more of it left. Your booster rocket's gone. So it's it's yeah. it's really a a That's matter great. of realizing what intensity you can handle for a prolonged period of time. Then when you get to the marathon, of course, it's the same old thing about not going out too fast because it's what you do is you have a certain amount of glycogen energy stored in your muscles. And if you were to use that glycogen at a maximum rate, I think we calculated you would make 17 miles and then it's gone. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jack, we're going to do in the next week, we're going to launch this VDOT challenge series where um, you're going to get a couple day window. Athletes will get a couple day window where they can enter uh, a race result on their uh, calendar on the VDOT app. And it could be any distance, and we're going to score it um, based on VDOT and just have, you know, essentially a virtual race where it doesn't matter the distances. Well, we're going to have okay. guidelines where you have to run at least a mile, um, but it's going to be essentially any distance. And um, we also want to do the age-graded stuff. But I'll, I'll – I'll give you okay. a call and tell you what I've done um, so far. Okay, good. Awesome. So, all right, good. So let me, 
We'll we'll chat about that in a bit. Okay. Um, but otherwise, I think we're good. Talk to you later. All right, Jack. Goodbye. I've been Bye-bye. over here.